This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Shalom and welcome back to Practical Spirituality here in the old city of Jerusalem, the Asia Torah, overlooking the Temple Mount. And uh, we are, um, we're supposed to be doing Death Week this week, but we're not really talking a lot about death, are we? Um, but maybe I'll talk more about death and we'll see where it goes. Every class seems to segue from death. And, and remember, death is your best friend. We spoke yesterday about how it makes you put on your running shoes so that you actually start making a difference with your life because without death, you would probably just play Candy Crush all day. So, you know, death scares us enough to, to like, make a difference with our lives. Just make a broch on this. Anyway, so, so death's really amazing that way. And, uh, and, and the other thing we shared, just Sunday's death day, which we barely touched on death, but Sunday's death class was about how people who live fulfilled lives, meaning they're actually living their life purpose, are not afraid of death, while people who um, never really figured out what, what they were doing here in the first place are scared to death of, scared to death, of death. Which is bizarre because someone who's living their purpose should not want to go. Because when you're living your purpose, you're like all pistons pumping. You got your blood flowing. You're, you're in your game. You know you don't want to die. Whereas someone who's not found their purpose, they're kind of dragging their feet. They're doing the kibbutz walk, you know, on the way to the potatoes, and they're, they're like, they're, you're not really living. So maybe you should look forward to death. But they seem to be scared to death of death. People who don't have purpose in life. So it's a bit of a, a paradox. So we answered that paradox, in case you're wondering what the answer was, is that when you fulfill the purpose of your life, so, so you're, you're, you're feeling like you, you're getting done what you came to do, because you came to do something and then you go. So you're getting done what you came to do. So going ain't such a big deal. But the mystery of what I was, came to do, to die without having done it, would be pretty scary. Like, I don't want to die if I didn't do what I came to do. Now, uh, maybe today we should focus on how you figure out what you came to do. You like that? Yes. Like that? How do you figure out what you came to do? So it's not that difficult. It's shocking how, how simple it is. It's really not that big a deal. Um, and also, also it's, um, it's totally cool to be a support staff for other people doing things and you still fulfill your purpose. So not everyone has to be the, you know, the CEO of the, of what your purpose is. It could be enough literally to just work nine to five, make a ton of money and, uh, and, but work in order to give to the people who are doing what your special thing is that you'd like to do. And we all have our special thing. Um, you know, there was a there was a wealthy man who lived in Jerusalem, and everyone would have come to them with their causes, and he always just gave eighteen bucks, no matter what you came to. You're making a wedding, eighteen bucks. You're building a yeshiva, eighteen bucks. You're feeding the poor, eighteen bucks. You know, you're helping the disabled, eighteen bucks. Special education, eighteen bucks. Yeah, eighteen bucks, eighteen bucks, eighteen bucks. So this is a, someone 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 came to me with a situation where they wanted to create for ADHD kids on theory that. Maybe God actually created certain people to build things and not to study all day. With that theory, they thought, you know what, instead of Ritalin, what if we take a group of kids and little kids who are like about to be put on Ritalin, but we're going to turn them into builders. 
We're going to make, we're going to actually train them. We're going to take a master builder and have him donate some of his time to train these kids to build. And, the, but what this person needed was money to pay for all the power tools. Cause it's a bunch of tools. We're going to get 10 kids. Each kid's going to be with his drill, his saw, his everything, you know, like real dangerous equipment, you know, cause kids love that stuff. And so, and so whatever is going to be like several thousand dollars. So I'm like, well, I know you can get 18 bucks. <laughs> so I sent him to that guy, you know, just to get ready, you know, like get his first ask and get his first 18 bucks, you know. So he goes to the guy, comes back with a $3,000 check. The guy bought everything. What happened though? What happened was he believes in building. That's his, his, his purpose in life is you build. You build stuff. Like you, you build stuff. I don't know, he's a crazy guy. I mean, what's build stuff like all of a sudden three thousand dollar check for ten kids who are ADHD kids to build but we hit his button because it, that's why that I was just giving that story to underline the point that you don't have to be the guy championing the cause it's enough that you just you did it as a side thing that's a DACA thing a hobby you do at nights a class you teach once a week but you but you you understand you I'm not saying you have to do this full time just saying you got to know what you're here for because if you know what you're here for, your, your fear of death is going to go down a lot. Because you're fulfilling your purpose for having been on the planet. Clear? Okay, so it works like this. The first step in figuring out what you're here to do is you have to realize that you're absolutely no one. You're a nobody. <laughs> Just kidding. You're not a nobody. But you're no one. You're absolutely no one. All your self-image, your self-image is a joke okay your self-image is a joke clear yeah. now all you're looking at me like rabbi we were not expecting that we were actually expecting to find out what our purpose is not that our self-image is a joke but let's just look into the word self-image a little bit okay there's self we know what that is and then there's image well what's image what's the image short for what word is image short for imagine so what's the self-image an imaginary self your imaginary self cannot deal with the failure and rejection that will come with having a purpose. People who have a purpose have to go do something with it. You gotta do something with it. Well, if you're gonna do something with it, well, it's gonna fail many times because the path to success is failure. If you, any, any of you wanna succeed in life, you better learn to chew on the fat of failure. Everyone say that. Chew on the fat of failure. Together, bigger, bigger. Chew on the fat of failure. What's the price for success? I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting you to say failure. But the, um, let's, <laughs> it's too late. You're already programmed. You know? like, let's just say failure this time. What's the price for success? Yeah. Failure. And you know, people, will, people are perfectly happy to take you out. You can get like massively successful people to take you out for lunch and tell you the whole story of their success, which is really a long story of things that went wrong until they finally found their way. But the, but failure is the key to success. And by the way, the way you get fabulously successful people to take you out for lunch is find ones that have retired. <laughs> Whenever people come to me for retirement advice, my number one advice is don't retire. Don't become that guy who retired and like, you know, you can barely get, you, you got no respect at home and now you don't get respect outside the home either. So, so the, anyway, so, so it's not a good idea to retire, but people retire would love to talk about everything they did to make it. And so it's, uh, they, they, and if anyone wants to go out to lunch with someone, I set up lunches. 
So you just tell me your field, and I set up the lunch. Okay? Enjoy. Now, the... The... Um, uh, yeah, so the price for success is failure. Most people aren't willing to pay it. Most people spit it out. You see, you see it looks like this. To get to... To get to what you really want to do with this world, and by the way, I'm just going to add one more thing. It is pretty cool to make a living off your purpose. I mean, to monetize your purpose in life is great, and it's not hard to do. You can really, if you think out of the box, you can monetize your purpose for yourself, which may even be, a, it could even be a charity, so you're thinking so selflessly, but someone runs a charity always, they always are on some kind of salary. I know people making six digits running charities. And there's no issue with that. That's fine. That's fine. And I know people making, you know, a lot of money running charities. And thank God they're running those charities. And they got to feed their families. And they live in a city that has a high cost to live there. And they're putting kids through school, many of which are private. You need six figures for that. And so you can champion a cause and make a nice salary as a result. And today, there are organizations that will actually take your cause and create it for you. For you. I can hook you up with those people as well. Where if you got a cause and you're willing to champion that cause, they will put you on the map. And they'll do all the they'll also do all the paperwork, meaning they'll get the they'll create the 501c3 for you. They'll run the weekends where you take people out and and get your donor base together. And then you you built your own living for the rest of your life. Doing what you dream to do. Okay, but I, you know what I was about to write something that I don't want to write too much because there's a lot of info here, and let's just go back to self-image. So the imaginary self is, is not worth having because that imaginary self is constantly vulnerable. It's constantly vulnerable. It's made of an eggshell. Okay? It's extremely vulnerable. Think about your self-image. I mean, that's like... I mean, think about it. You walk into a wedding reception, for example, a packed room, You'll notice that you walk into that wedding reception, you immediately digitize the room for who you know and who you don't know, Sp looking like scanning for someone you know. If you can't find anyone you know, you're going straight to the bar. Okay? And, and what you're, all you're trying to do is survive. You're not even enjoying the event that people put so much money and effort into that you shouldn't enjoy the event, but you're actually just surviving the entire event. That whole time. And we're always, at, we're always doing this. And you want to know something? Your self-image is exactly why you don't have the love in your life that you wish you had. Because the vulnerability that it takes to have love is not going to work in a commensurate way with self-image. Because there's a certain level of vulnerability that you need that self-image does not allow. And so if you want self-image, don't expect love. But if you don't have love, you had nothing. So you had self-image. They'll put on your tombstone. Self-image. <laughs> Couldn't come up with a good word. Sorry. This isn't my big speaking day, I guess. Anyway, they'll put on your tombstone self-image instead of loved. You know, or was connected. But the key to connection in life is vulnerability. What's the price for success? What's the price for, for love? Vulnerability. But... Self-image and vulnerability, those don't go to wet together very well. If you're, if you're going around with a self-image, you're, you're not going to be very vulnerable. Well, can't we say self-image and respect for oneself is the same thing? No. Why? Because then you wouldn't understand this class. You'd lose the point. You'd just lose... 
Maybe say your point again. I'm sorry. Like self-image to me, right? Yeah. When I hear self-image, it's like it's equivalent to to reputation. Makes sense. Right, and that you got to stay away from. But if you have a bad reputation, you do you do stupid things when you're a little kid or whatever, whatever. You can't go back from from that. If you get arrested, if you do like drugs or whatever, you can come back from it. You have to be careful. But if you avoided that when you were a kid. Right, your self-image, your self, your reputation is completely different. Reputation and self-image are two very different things. Yeah. Well, yeah, how? but it is true that that um, well, self-image is complicated and reputation is not. Reputation is just how everyone sees you. Self-image is built of many, many things. It's built of of the beautiful you. It's built of the ugly you. It's built of the hey, everyone, pay attention to how smart I am. You. It's like built of all these levels. Self-image is very complex, and it's. And so, it's just not reputation. I, I don't want to mix those around at all here, okay? But reputation is a way that we at least have the, hey, everyone, look how smart I am, you. That's the, that's the, self, that's the reputation part of the self-image. So they do connect, but one's much more complex. So, and it's only one aspect of self-image is how people see me. Whatever, I don't want to go into that much deeper, but the answer was you're right. But it's only one level of self-image, okay? It's how you see yourself, but how we see ourselves is super complex. Okay, now, um, so I'm just going to go a little deeper on self-image. I'm going to go a little deeper. I'm going to go two steps deeper on self-image. One step deeper on self-image is what does image also mean? Image also means, like Google Images, what does it mean? Picture. Image is a picture. So now, how do you look at the word self-image if image means picture? What does it mean? A self-portrait. Like a selfie. It's a self-portrait. Tell me, when did you shoot the picture? When, when was the snapshot taken? So I'll ask you a question. If you have 365 days a year and day 201, something really crazy happened and you were horribly humiliated in the situation, and, and now we're at the end of the year, which day was the day that defined you if you were six? The 364 amazing days? Or did those kind of wash? But there was that one horrible moment that could have lasted like a fraction of a second. You know, it could have just been like you forgot to lock a bathroom door. I mean, it could have been anything. But that horrible second, will def- that will define, that's the snapshot of the self-image. Meaning self-image, meaning Google Images, pictures. Meaning when did you shoot your snapshots? When did those take place? And how have you created a whole compensating personality around it? which is the craziest thing. That's something that could have taken a quarter of a second. Now all of a sudden you, build, you can build a whole personality around it that no one should ever, ever, ever throw salt on that wound again. And so once again, I'm vigilant and therefore I can't have love. So I'm not going to have love. Someone walked into the bathroom because I forgot to lock the door and now I don't get to have love the rest of my life. Everything's, I can't give a class, I have to take People love me from my classes, or I can't play a concert as a musician. I've got to, I can't give a concert. I have to take a concert from the crowd. And why do you think rock stars choke on their own vomit at three in the morning? It's because that, that whole concert, their, their whole career is, or, their, or the looks of a supermodel or any other glamour thing, or, or uh, uh, politicians or ath- professional athletes, they build a gigantic edifice around, around one crummy moment that happened when they were like, it was the most random thing ever. But it wasn't random for that kid. 
And so the self-image, that snapshot, is is a nightmare. Now they don't get to have love for the rest of their lives because of that one humiliation. And so, and so we see like this is heavy duty stuff. And no wonder most people you meet aren't exactly sure what they're doing here on this earth. I mean, they don't really discover their special purpose. So guys, please don't be embarrassed if I ask you to raise your hands if you're not sure what your special purpose is. Just to get, because we got like probably 35 people in here. Let's just get a look. Who's like really not sure exactly what they're here for? Okay? You can be honest. It's not a big deal. I mean, you're in good, you apparently you're in good company. Um, okay, so it's like, you know, it's about, about 28 out of 35. Okay? Which is most people. And... And we all know where that's going to lead. You know, it's going to lead to less intimacy and more distraction. That's going to lead to less intimacy and more distraction, but a ton of consumerism. A ton of consumerism. It's going to maybe, perhaps, drive Western civilization. Maybe it's going to drive Western civilization. Because Western civilization is from Asaph, like the United States of Asaph, Yaakov and Asaph. That's where we are in our Parshas now, right? That's what we're talking about. That's the subject. And... And they're the foundation of Westernism. And the Asaph's famous for, lacks, for having a lack of depth. And Judaism's famous for having lots of depth. So are Eastern traditions. Eastern traditions are very deep. We have that in common. Judaism and like Hinduism, Buddhism, those, and all the tribal cultures out there in the Amazon, the jungles. Like, it's weird how much we have in common with them. Like, we just shouldn't have that much in common with those people. But we do. We do. We have like very, very common inner world. If, in other words, our inner world is called Kabbalah, and all that Kabbalah has tons to do with all these more tribal-oriented uh, traditions. Um, we have almost nothing to do with Christianity and Islam internally, which is very interesting that we spawned off Islamic Christianity and Islam were spawned off us, but they're like the outer garment of Judaism. Think about it. Christianity is a total takeoff on Temple Judaism. Well, when did they get their beginnings? Right when the temple was destroyed, was early Christians. And so they kind of recreated the temple Judaism. And, and think about it, Islam sp spun off during synagogue Judaism, hundreds of years later. And look, they're just like synagogue Judaism. They, they literally have everything in common with the externals of us. But no Jews interested in externals. Yes, I externally put leather boxes on me today. You know, the tefillin, I did put them on externally, but that was the extent of it, was the external. The internal was the point of it all. That's where I was really going with it, which I'll never understand. None of us will ever understand any commandment, which is probably a good thing, because if you think you understand something, you're less apt to do it. Whereas if you're doing something that you, it's mostly mystery, and like a little taste, of, like a little tiny sense of why we do it, so you're more likely to do it because you just have no idea what you're doing. And so, like, I'm more likely to do something I don't understand. And we understand Zippo when it comes to the commandments. Yeah, the Kabbalah teaches a bit, but, but it's, uh, I mean, it teaches a lot, but how many people are ever going to learn all that stuff? And, um, and even if you did learn all that stuff, you're still only getting some of it. You know? Okay, that's a digression. Let's move back to uh, self-image is that, is that Westernism and self-image go together. And therefore, as Jews, we have to have a surgical maneuver, and you're all here for this surgical maneuver right now, which is called an asavotomy. Asavotomy is a surgical maneuver where you get asav out of me. Like, asavotomy 
is a get Asav out of me. Because I want love, and I want connection, and I want depth, and I want purpose, and I want real. That's what I want. And I'm willing to risk everything for that because then I've lived. Because then I've lived, and now I don't have to be afraid to, to die because I loved, and I lived, and I, and I sensed purpose deeply, and I, and I spent my days seeking it and, and, uh, and, and uh, fulfilling that purpose. And therefore, I'm, I'm ready to go. Where Look at Westerners' insane, insane addiction to looking young. I mean, it's just crazy, crazy. It's a trillion-dollar business, trillion-dollar business to look young and fertile. Yeah? And the, uh, who needs that? You know, the happiest people I know look really old. <laughs> you know, I could take you on a tour in Manishari where I pray and, you know, my community over there. Take you on a tour of people who have so much more life than any of us. They're more beautiful than any of us, but they really look old. Yeah, these people look like they're like, you know, they look like they're out of National Geographic or something. <laughs> but they wear it with pride, you know, like every wrinkle comes with a story. And some of those stories are pretty rough, but, but, they're, uh, but, they, but they create character. And so what happens is we wind up erasing the character from the stories. So why do we have to go through all that hell and then also get rid of the character to look good for Westerners, you know? We're not Westerners. And um, by the way, I, I may sound a little um, like I'm being a little strong right now. Um, you should know that that's only because I'm speaking publicly. If I were ever speaking to an individual, you know, I realized that I'd be the one with the hair dye. I mean, I know a lot of men who color their hair, and especially my age that are coloring their hair as mine's slowly turning gray. Thank God slowly, but it's going gray slowly. And I have a lot of colleagues whose hair never turned gray because, I don't know, they shampoo with color in their shampoo or something like that. So when I'm with him, it's only respect, 100% respect. Why? What, what would I be doing if I were him? I'd be shampooing with colored shampoo. So the, you, I just want everyone to get, I'm speaking strongly, but if I were you, I'd be you right now. And so I totally get, like, 100%. And who knows what vain things I'm up to, you know? What? You never judge anybody, because if you were him, that'd be you. If you were him, that'd be you. So how could you ever judge a person? I mean, if you, you ever think about your life, this will help you guys never judge anybody. Who are you sitting in your seat right now? You're, you're the other end of, of an equal sign, of a really long equation. Of where you, the family you grew up in, the sibling order, the community, everything that ever happened to you. Every variable of both micro and macro decisions that you've made, which are, you're making all the time. Like right now, even right now, you're making micro decisions. And, but then there's the macro ones, like the bigger decisions of life. Like all of those variables, which is like one gigantic mathematical equation, at the end of it comes with an equal sign. And on the other side of that equal sign is you sitting in your chair right there, Lucian. You're the other side of that. And had I, had I experienced that whole equation, I'd be this guy in a Eddie Bauer kind of sailing red thing. Yeah. And, and if he lived my equation, he'd be standing up here just going, 
What's up, man? <laughs> He'd be up here. And this is beautiful because now you can accept everybody you ever meet because their story would have been yours had you lived it. So you can really accept absolutely everyone. And since we're on that subject, maybe I'll share something a little deeper, especially with people from, you know, United States of Asap in the room. <laughs> Another distinction that's worth having, this is a Venn diagram because these get just messed up, is on this side we have the word uh, acceptance, which is the most beautiful thing in the world. And it actually leads to love. Acceptance leads to love, which is also really important to know that... Um, that acceptance leads to love. If you become the accepting person who realizes that had you gone through what they went through, that would have been you. So now I, like, I naturally, I forget your name. Mark. Mark, I naturally accept you because had I been through your life, I'd be you sitting right there. So you're automatically accepted. So your likelihood of loving me is much higher. Much higher. You, and also, I'm here to teach your likelihood of taking what I'm teaching. I mean, imagine, how much, would you, how much would you receive in my classes if you knew I had this, like, heavy judgment for, your, for you and your lifestyle and your level of Judaism and your commitment to keeping kosher and Shabbat and all that? How much would you receive if you knew I had, like, major issues with that? You realize nothing. Like, there's no openness, there's no love, there's no... So imagine having a vibrational energy in your life that you accept everybody fully, completely, and totally from the get-go, no matter who they are. Imagine what your vibrational energy is like with people when that happens. You know what my vibrational energy is like when it's like that? It's like you're a guard who's supposed to make sure no one gets into the party. And you've just told the last... That's your job. You're being paid for that. So the last hundred people who came to get into the party were sent away. And then I walk up and I'm in. There was something so safe about me that he just let it go. Do you know what it takes for a cop to write me up a ticket? I mean, I can't remember the last time. They can't. They just can't. I mean, I begged them to. I'm like, teach me a lesson, officer. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm pretty crazy. So they see me doing like radical stuff. I mean, I got pulled over 17 violations. And, and, and when he finally gets my registration, it was out of date. So it was at 18. So why doesn't he give you a ticket? He couldn't give me a ticket. Well, that was a special case. That was a special case. What had happened, they, they, we, police here go home at night, so it's, there's no cops at night. And the, uh, so you don't have to worry so much about moving violations at night. And uh, anyway, so what it, I was just leaving the old city, and a couple was hitchhiking to get to the central bus station to get back to Beit Shemesh. So I said, yeah, jump in. I, they're like, but we only have 10 minutes. I'm like, I could get to the central bus station. <laughs> From the Jewish quarter. You know? and, which I can. Not in this case, though. So when I was finally flying up King George towards Jaffa, Jaffa used to be a, you know, cars. Well, it was buses and taxis, but my car, too. And uh, <laughs> see, my, my opinion on traffic laws is we're already keeping... We did the math on Rambam, how many laws Jews keep. 55,000 laws, okay? We're keeping 55,000 laws. Don't add, you know, public transportation street, okay? Don't add stuff. So, I'm kidding. The public it's after 7, I think you're allowed to drive. Anyway. anyway, I'm flying up Jaffa. But here's the thing. My car has 11 speakers in it. And 
So the music's really loud. And this couple's in the back just going like, what is going on here? You know, like, you know, there's no rules, and there's really loud music. And anyway, flying up. I'm flying up King George on my way to Yafo when I notice lights behind me. And I'm figuring maybe it's a motorcade or something. And anyway, then I'm hearing, like, microphone sounds. And so I finally turn down the music, and it's, they're yelling, pull over. So I like pull over my car and I'm like, oh. I apologize to the couple. I'm like, you're not making this buzz. That's for sure. <laughs> Forget that. And the, uh, and the, anyway, so the cop tells me like, you did set, he said, he found me. I was pulling out of the Zyngate parking lot. He was coming up from the hotel and he just sees a guy like flying like a bat out of hell. And it was a high speed chase till King George. <laughs> and he only caught up to me on King George. And... <laughs> Yeah, he found me right when we left. And he only caught up with me on King George Street near Yafo. And anyway, there's a whole crowd of people watching this, by the way. Like the, the altercation when he came to my car. Because I guess they had seen, you know, it's fun to watch. This is before smartphones. That would have been cool. So anyway, the, um, so he says, you're in a lot of trouble, mister. And takes my registration. He's like, out of date. That's 18 violations. And then he goes to his car. So I'm like, oh, man. This is rough. But this is a particular... This is funny I'm telling this story because this has nothing to do with, with me being accepting. Check this out. You want to hear this freaky thing? You know those, you know those Mazda Miata red convertibles? The little tiny red convertibles? It's like a Ferrari lookalike, but a Mazda. Yeah? A Mazda Miata comes up with a girl in long blonde hair, pulls up right in front of my car. Okay? This is not a parking area. This is like, you know, we're blocking a lane. And... She pulls up in front of my car, walks right by my window, walks right back to the cop. He jumps out of the car. And I'm not going to get into graphic detail, but they're, they're locked on now. And only in Israel. They're, they're, they're totally locked on. They're not coming up for air, these two. And ten minutes goes by. His partner's just sitting in the car. And I got this couple in the back who need to get to the bus station. You know, they're going to get a bus somewhere. I don't know how they're getting home, but... It was just the craziest thing. And imagine now if you had a smartphone in those days. Like, this is really getting out of the box. And anyway, but after 10 minutes, I said, I felt bad for the couple, so I said, I'll go interrupt them. Really bad idea. Really bad idea. I start, because she was kind of against the car, so I was knocking on his door, you know. Was, he finally, like, comes up for air and looks at me. I mean, a chassid, you know, like the last person he was expecting to see on this special night. And, and he was just so upset. And he's like, get back in your car, mister. And I, I just go back and sit in my car. And I'm like, I'm sure he'll be here soon. Anyway, <laughs> next thing I know, he walks up to my car with my registration and my license, throws it into my, onto my lap and says, have a nice night. Gets in the hunt in the Mazda with the girl and they drive off. <laughs> What kind of crazy situation is that? And the couples are like, what was that? And I, I don't know. I'm, I, how, why does this stuff happen? And, but you know the answer? In the crowd of people, someone says, Rabbi Glazer? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, could I get in? <laughs> and I'm like, sure. So he gets in the passenger seat. And we drive off to the central bus station. I drop the couple off. 
And this kid tells me, yeah, I came to Israel for three weeks. He said he was suicidal and he was depressed. And someone told him to come to Israel. But he had been to a day or two of our classes here. And he still was feeling, you know, in the dumps. And he really had some issues that needed working out. That What he really needed wasn't our classes. He needed to work out some stuff. So, But someone thought, like, oh, this will fix him, you know, and send him to our classes. And where was he going? He was on his way to the central bus station. He was going to Tel Aviv and bumping up his ticket to leave tomorrow. He cried for an hour and a half in my car, talking through all kinds of stuff, came back with me to the old city, went back to yeshiva. We spent a lot of time together, worked out a lot of stuff, got him to therapy, and he became fully observant, happy, fine guy. I mean, he worked it out. He got his stuff worked out and became a Balchuva. Amazing, amazing story. So you see, that entire story was for, it was all for him. It's all for him. I have other stories of why cops can't write me up. But yeah, that was just a fun one. Now, anyway, this is people love, but let's make a diok, everybody. Ready? Everyone ready? Five towners? Make a diok. You're not from the five towns, too, are you? No. Where are you guys from? Brooklyn. All right. Where? Flatbush. Okay. So, I didn't mean to know where you're from. Okay. Okay. Anyway. Who do you love? Everybody who accepts you. Who do you hate? Anyone that you suspected at one point or another, even someone you never met, but maybe the way they dress or the community they're from or the neighborhood they're from, that you suspected would not what? Accept you. That's who you hate. Now, of course, you don't want to be like Hitler just knocking off anyone who doesn't accept you. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's just wrong. You don't want to be that guy. So what do you do? You create this long list of every reason why that person's a jerk. And the longer you know them, the longer the list gets. You just, everything you hear about them, you could even hear something good about them. It's probably why you're not allowed to speak good about someone in the presence of someone who doesn't like them. Because it becomes, they'll, they'll twist it into a reason why they don't like them. Everything about that person you will figure out why that's another reason why that person's a jerk. But if you went down to the core of it all, you'd find yourself there feeling unaccepted because that's where it's all coming from. Everyone you don't like, I promise you, anyone you don't like is probably because you feel unaccepted. Now, there's people who have harmed us. That's another school. But I'm talking about not people who harmed us. I'm talking about people you don't like or hate even. Meaning, when you point your finger at that person, where are these three fingers pointing? Everyone say, right back at you. Right back at a little quicker. When you're pointing your finger at someone and there's three more pointing, where? Right back, right back at you. Right back at you. That it was really your tremendous desire to be accepted. Now, that tremendous desire to be accepted is the same reason why you don't know what you're doing here. You don't know your purpose, those who raise their hand, the 30 of you or 28 of you who raise their hand, you don't know what you're doing here is because you're too scared of being rejected. We spoke about failure, but the other is rejection. Failure and rejection are the absolute governors of your being effective on this earth. To succeed, you must fail. But to succeed, it also means you've got to put yourself out there. And if you're going to put yourself out there, well, not everyone's going to love you. So you've got to make a decision. Do you want to be loved by everybody out there? Or do you want to have made a difference? You want to be known for being another nobody? Or would you like it that you're known for the difference you made in this world?
Make a choice. Make a choice. To be known for being a chameleon and fitting into a community, or you want to be known because you actually made a difference with your life, with your resources, with your who you are. You're you're having been here. Got to choose. And so, by being accepting of all people, and also owning the fact that you don't like people who don't accept you, and realize that it's really just your own issue, let's go a little deeper there. What's your issue? What's the issue in the end? My issue is that deep down, that wound I spoke about earlier, the wound that I'm afraid people throw salt in, that wound needs examination. When you got a serious wound, it's got to be examined. Well, if you examine your wound, you'll see that the people you think don't accept you those issues, the people you don't like, are actually touching a wound that's very specific and it's not even true. For example, people who are more observant than me, I don't like them. Because in their eyes, I feel like a goy. And I feel like a Gentile in their eyes. Well, is it true you're a Gentile? You're not a Gentile? I know female rabbis or other females who just like candles once a week. And on Shabbos, and that's their whole Jewish experience. And they have all of my respect for that. Just that. I believe in people who go to shul once a year on Rosh Hashanah for a fashion show experience. The who's who of congregation B'nai Bingo of Beverly Hills, you know. So, like, I believe not. I believe that those people are awesome. And, and that's their Rosh Hashanah. Don't we all have our Rosh Hashanah the way we celebrate our Rosh Hashanah? So they have theirs. And that's special. And that's, that's beautiful. And also, we have no idea what God wants from any of us. See, we all think because we're all keeping halacha, but the halacha is thousands of years of keeping halacha means that it keeps getting narrower and narrower in its scope. If you look at the Talmud, it's super broad. But Jewish law has gotten narrower and narrower in its scope as we lose scholarship we start winding up in a much more prescribed lifestyle. So the, what's called Jewish gets tinier and tinier. And so when we see someone outside that, suddenly they feel very judged and we judge. When in fact, it's very likely that where they're holding has, has place somewhere. That there's a, a space for that. But it's also, there's been a lot of mix-up over the years. and Everyone's super confused at this point what is exactly Jewish and what's not. But let, let's just go a little further here. Is that when you examine what you're afraid they don't accept you for, it's probably untrue. Like, for example, if I felt like I was unwanted. Have you ever met an unwanted person? No, you haven't. You felt, you've met a lot of people who felt unwanted. Lots. Have, has there been an unwanted person? I mean, even criminals are called wanted. But how many people are walking around feeling unwanted? And they're feeling unwanted because they didn't get picked for something probably when they were little. Was, that was their big thing. They didn't get picked for the team or the play or the show or the whatever. They also were born probably to a family with four plus kids and had to always give up on their spot. And it just settled in. And then it, after that, it becomes vibrational. Once it's vibrational, no one's going to pick you for anything. Because vibrationally, you're saying, don't pick me. Because it's your, your, you know, it's your, it's your uh, fatal attraction. is Meaning you're causing that. 
constant not being included. And so unwanted becomes the thing. And therefore, I'm going to be super vigilant to make sure that anyone is going to, that either people are going to want me, but I'm certainly going to knock out anyone who might not want me. Anyone who might not want me is going to be on my you-know-what list. And so, anyway, this is really important to get to love. But what's on the other side? The other side is approval. And these get blurred. See this middle area? These get blurred. Because what happens? You have high standards, period. You have high standards. All of you have high standards. Jewish people have the highest standards in the world. I don't care if you're a secular Televedian. They have extremely high standards on everything they're into. We are the highest standard people of the 7 billion people on this planet. No one has higher standards than Jews. Of the Jews, no one has higher standards than the observant Jews, because we're keeping all this other stuff, too. All the Jewish laws and everything. So our standards are super high. Then there's the Haredi black hat Jews. Then there's the Hasidic black hat Jews. So you know what happens in the end? Is that if you blur approval and acceptance... And your standards of approval, which I promise you are the highest in the world for everyone in this room. So how many people do you accept in this planet if they're blurred? Very, few. very, very few. And so therefore, it's like you are bug repellent and the world's the bug. And no one feels safe around you because you have such high expectations, such high standards. And when these get blurred, which they get blurred all the time, you wind up only accepting people you approve of. Well, good luck with your life. You're living in an isolation tank. You're living in a padded cell. And no one's going to be taken from you. No one's interested in anything you've got to say. Because it's, it, it's already a vibrational reality of closed and judgmental. I, I just had a guy come up to me yesterday. Full on dreadlocks. Telling me stories of how he went to Ramallah and all the Arabs took him in for tea and even told him he was Jewish and they just had the, a swell time. He said, so he wanted to meet up when he came back to Jerusalem, so he said he wanted to experience that with the Jews too. So where do I find the observant Jews? So they told him, well, go up Jaffa Street. When you get near the Shuk or anywhere near Davidka, that area, turn right and go a couple blocks into the area that's called Geula. Go have tea with them. There were no offers for tea. It was quite freaked out. Like he really, really felt rejected in there, and it was it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. He did, there were no invitations for nothing. People were just literally like moving their kids across the street. Well, dread like Rastaman walks by. You know? Jewish guy. You know what I told him? By the way, you, you'll think it's so ironic what I told him. You know, you think I probably like made up something? You know what? I, you know what my answer was? I only get this because I'm a Talmud of Rav Noach. You like think beyond things when you're with him for enough years. So you know what I said though? I said, you're lucky they didn't kill you. <laughs> he was like, what? He was not expecting it. He was expecting me to like make up some reason why they weren't nice. You know, I like tell him it was like, I don't know, there was a big funeral yesterday. Or something. I said, they, I said, you're lucky they didn't kill you. He says, why is that? I said, well, imagine trying to approach a tribe in India that lives on an island that, oh. that no Westerners allowed anywhere near. Like, imagine trying to approach that tribe. How close do you think you could get your boat before you just get filled with arrows? You know? How about the Amazon? The Amazon, like, we know where we can go have our little ayahuasca ceremony, but, but there's plenty of other areas. You just don't go there. 
Because you're not even going to get within a mile or two of their border before you're filled with holes. Did you get it? You know, you're going to get 30 arrows in your... Did you get it? I said, I said, I said it's really nice that, that Muslims in Ramallah were nice to you, but those people over there are one of the most endangered tribes on earth, and they're the only tribe on earth that ever had prophecy. And they're, and they're trying to guard a prophetic tradition, an ancestral heritage of prophecy. Like, they, don't, they shouldn't be protected from a guy who looks like, you know, like, like Sigmund the sea monster, who just, like, came out of the, the sea. You know, these people are, are determined that by the end of days, there's still something that smells Jewish. Now, do I like the way they're doing things? No, I think they're making a big blur here. It's a big blur here. Now, I'm just going to go one step further, and that is why is Western civilization, for example, the United States of Asia, where many of you right now reside, why, and I really apologize in advance for what I'm about to say to the people from the five towns in Brooklyn, more to, and even Brooklyn, like Kolshikane. Now, you ready for this? I'm sorry to say this, and everyone watching this live, you should know I love you, even though I'm about to say what I'm about to say. The reason why Western civilization is such a cesspool, it's such a cesspool where they gather urine from outhouses okay, for people who don't have regular plumbing, not just urine. <laughs> Excuse me. Maybe I'm not supposed to say it. I'm getting all this like uh, burps all of a sudden. <coughs> Always good to burp when you're public speaking. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Hope I don't throw up. <laughs> the reason why it's such a cesspool out there is because they blurred acceptance and approval. You see, the only way you can get all those nationalities who have thousands of years of killing each other for years in their history and put them all together in one place called America or Brooklyn, the only way you can get them not to kill each other is you have to make acceptance the highest good, the highest value in the world. America is number one in the most beautiful thing in the world, which is called acceptance. They're amazing at it. I was raised in it. I, my English name is John, named after my uncle. Martin, named after Martin Luther King. Civil rights, black minister. My, I can show you my license. John Martin Glady died three days before I was born. Because I'm, I'm dipped in acceptance. I'm dipped in it. I just learned how to teach this. Because I have enough years thinking about why I accept people so much, finally realized the distinction here. I'm dipped in that acceptance. Listen, America is so big on acceptance, but they got to blur with approval. So not only do you have to accept everybody, you got to also what? To the point where there's no wrong and right. Arn, Arn, don't do this right now. Just give me this pregnant pause because I, I just need it for a sec. Don't come in yet. Okay, just one sec. One sec. Not only do you have to accept everybody, you also have to approve. And therefore, there's no such thing as wrong and right. There's no more standards. It's taken over the universities, the, the academia. It's taken over the media. The whole left wing of government have all been taken by this. In other words, it's become slim. And if you're Jewish living there, you've become loit. Avram's brother. Avram's nephew. Avram's nephew chose to leave Avraham and go live in Sodom, in Sodom, which is by no coincidence the word sodomy. Yeah, which is which is exactly where everyone's choosing to live and raise their children. And I tell every man I meet these days that it's better you sacrifice you in your children's life than your children. Take a 
damn LL flight and go work and come back on Fridays and give your kids a chance to grow up in Israel and not in civilian. It's better they don't have you in their life than not have a life at all. I ride those airplanes all the time. We have a great clever on board. It's amazing. But we're raising our kids here, even though we have so much work outside of here. Just ride those flights. They're fun anyway. You get to turn off your phone. And you can eventually totally get your business working for you in a way that you only have to go a week or two a month. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.